Restaurant Unstoppable episode 724 with Jeremy Mandrell and Ann Ning. If you have a clear direction and a clear process, that helps everyone do a good job because everyone wants to do a good job. Are you ready for it? Factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Find out why Toast POS is the number one recommended restaurant POS system on Restaurants Unstoppable. If you're going to survive this upcoming recession, you have got to adapt. And you can't just adapt. You have to adapt fast. With Toast's cloud-based restaurant POS, your system will update to evolve along with changing industry trends and guest expectations. To learn more, head over to toasttab.com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, for a limited time, you will get one month free POS software, three months of free digital ordering tools, and 50% off implementation to ease the impact of COVID-19. This is a value of $1,000, but you've got to use our links. Let me tell you about a little green book that will change your life if you're anything like me and your strengths are with people, not numbers. It's called QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for, and trust me, it will change your life. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reportings that will enable them to make better informed, data-driven decisions to learn more and to get a copy copy of Zach's book, head to ZachWeiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E-I-N-E-R.com slash unstoppable. And if you use that link, my listeners will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call. But you got to use that link or use promotional code don't stop. For years, restaurant owners have been pleading for more integration in their restaurants, and they finally got it. Restaurant 365 is a cloud-based, all-in-one, restaurant-specific accounting and back-office platform that seamlessly integrates with POS systems, payroll providers, and food and beverage vendors. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and a free inventory build in Restaurant 365 a value of $5,000. What's going on, Unstoppables? We got some great conversation for you today, but before we hit play, just a quick reminder, we are partnering with Toast POS. Uh, we're going to be splitting our profit with you guys. So after taxes, they're going to be paying us out right around $2,000, and we want to give you $1,000 if you use our link. But here's the thing. You could not have reached out to Toast before. To, to get this incentive, uh, Toast, you have to be using our link for the initial reach out to toast. Meaning if you already set up a call with them or if you've done a demo or you've been clicking around their website and you're on their radar, then they're not going to count you using our link as a lead. So you have to use our link for the first time you ever reach out to them. So don't do a Google search. If you're interested in toast, use toasttab.com slash unstoppable for the first time you reach out to toast in order to get the incentives that we're offering up to $2,000 worth of incentives between what Toast is offering and what we're offering. And do me this solid favor to email me when you use that link so I I know that you use our link so I can 
make sure you're on my radar too. That's really important. We want to make sure we're supporting you guys as much as possible so that the better we communicate, the, the better we can serve you. And uh, again, your calls to action, toasttab.com slash unstoppable. The first time you reach out to them, use that link or, you know, click, you can either type that in or we'll have the, the link in the show notes and then um, be sure you reach out to me when you, when you use that link. So I know, so I can, you know, fact check everybody and make sure we're all lined up in on the same page. So we have a great chat for you today. Uh, we have Jeremy Mandrell and Ann Ning joining us from San Antonio. They're with bakery Lorraine uh, and Man, some really great stuff came out of this chat. I love this idea of just never never let your nerves get in your way. You're going to have to do some some tough stuff in your life. You have to have the courage to to, to tackle whatever is in your way. Uh, we hear that in both Jeremy and Ann's story. They were so nervous to go work for Thomas Keller, but they just they just overcame those nerves and they got after it. We talk about the importance of not budging from your standards. We also talk about having clear purpose and direction with process, which I think is really important. Uh, customer interaction. It's not enough just to give the customer the food. You got to develop a relationship with them. They, they come back for those relationships. They come back for your enthusiasm for the thing they do. They come back for the education they're going to get when you talk to them about the thing that you do. These are all things you can do to increase or improve that customer interaction. The power of partnerships is something that comes up a lot on the show. It came up today as well. Uh, we talk about hustling. People think they're going to you know, walk away from their full-time job and, and open their, their dream restaurant like overnight. It doesn't happen overnight. It's a slow gradual process of of constant pressure. You're going to have your full-time job. You're going to start doing your thing part-time, and then you're slowly going to swing it. We, we kind of talk about that in today's show. At one point, they were working their full-time job. They were doing farmer's markets. They were doing pop-ups, and they were doing whole, wholesale. So, I mean, you got to hustle. I mean, those are the big takeaways for me in today's chat. I hope you guys enjoy this. Uh, it's a good one. Here it is. With excitement, allow me to introduce to you today's guests, Jeremy Mandrell and Ann Ning. Are you two feeling unstoppable today? Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's what I like to hear. So Jeremy Mandrell and Ann Ning met while working at Thomas Keller, or sorry, met working for Thomas Keller at Bouchon Bakery in Napa Valley, California, and have been baking together ever since. They honed their skills in different kitchens around San Francisco Bay Area before moving to San Antonio in the summer of 2010. In 2011, they met entrepreneur Charlie, say his name for me real quick. Beating hard. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> who joined them in forming Bakery Lorraine. Today, they have scaled Bakery Lorraine to five locations, and they've also opened a donut shop, which I recently saw that you guys closed. I'd love to get into the, the nitty-gritty of that and uh, what you learned from that experience. Uh, but before we really dive into your story, let's get that motivational, inspirational ball rolling with a success quote or mantra. What do you got for us? Um, well, we always, uh, we always like mistakes stop here. We don't like to let people see our mistakes, and so we really try and stop them as far as pastry goes before they, before they walk out the door. Mistakes stop here. So why, why is that so important to you? You know, even if you've been doing the same job for years and years, you know, there will be a day when you're not having a good day yeah. and you slip up. You know, people, people make mistakes. Uh, we acknowledge that the important thing is that you learn from it yes. and it stops there. Yes. You know? I th- yeah. I think yeah. it's so important to know that it's okay to make a mistake, but only one time. Right. 
Right. Right. I love it. Great way to get this thing started. So usually when I have two guests, I, I divide the conversation to focus on each person until we meet up. All right. So you both have kind of similar stories. You both went to culinary school. Um, I know you were a military family. I know you were traveling a lot around with your, your parents in East a- or Asia, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, so who wants to go first to kind of tell us the background story? Uh, and, Anne's looking at you, Jeremy. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go <laughs> I think first. she selected you. So yeah, get into like when did you know that this was going to be your path? Um, I, actually, when I when I got out of the military, I worked in restaurants and and toyed around with the idea. It just never seemed. Uh, like a right fit for me at, at those certain times. And then after I got out of the military, I, I decided to go to culinary school. Um, I had money for college and uh, decided to go to culinary school. And I, I knew then um, when I was in the Navy, I moonlighted at a little bakery down the street from me. And I was like, yeah, this is, this is what I want to do. Nice. So what was it about this industry that, that made you so quickly fall in love? Uh, it's exciting. It's uh, there's always stuff going on. Um, I love baking. I love eating pastries. Clearly, um, <laughs> uh, I, I grew up in a and you know my grandmother used to, you know she was a, a farmer's wife and put on these huge spreads of food and you know homemade baked breads and pies and so I kind of grew up with that and uh, just kind of stuck. Now, I know you traveled a lot. Do you, how, did that influence you, uh, being a part of a military family, getting to experience those different cultures? Oh, yeah, uh, of course. Uh, being able to, um, you know, my mom had friends from all over the world and uh, got recipes from them, so I was exposed to a lot of different flavors, and, and we, we didn't try to incorporate that in our baking and integrate with our community now. Okay, and uh, you went to culinary school, San Diego. What was, what was the name of the school? Remind me. It was um, uh, Art Institute <laughs> of San Diego. Any key mentors during that time that really helped cement this journey, this path that you're on? Uh, Chef Tina Liu, um, a very tough instructor, a good friend and mentor. What, in what way does she help form the, the man you are today? Uh, I think just her commitment to excellence and and being as strict. Uh, I, I work very good in, in you know in a strict environment. Uh, military was great for me. Uh, she was great for me, and so just kind of enforcing uh, you know quality. How do, how does she go about doing that? Like, how do you enforce quality in a way that's not distasteful, like or not off putting, and reinforcing positive behavior like how, how did she what was her approach i mean i, I don't know she was very stern <laughs> yeah. uh, uh she was very demanding very stern and uh and and i kind of thrive in that kind of environment nice um how else did she influence you um just open she was able to open my eyes to um all, all kinds of pastry and flavors and got you um a ton of skills. Nice. So I know that you guys both, um, went to culinary school. I know you met at Thomas Keller's restaurant, Bouchon. Um, was there anything going on between when you guys graduated culinary school or was that your, I know that you were um, working in a laboratory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was. So uh, how many years elapsed before you guys graduated and came together in at Bouchon or yeah, Bouchon. Um, I had gone to culinary school before I took the job in the laboratory. Okay. See, 
I come from a Chinese Filipino family, gotcha. very traditional. And, you know, there are a lot of expectations career-wise yeah. on you. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially as a woman, uh, they told me I could never work in a kitchen. It's a man's world, oh. you know? How'd that make you feel? It made me angry. I bet. It yeah. did. And it made me want to prove them wrong. That's a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy you did. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, they told me I couldn't do it and I wanted to. I, you know, I thought I could take my degree in biochemistry and somewhat come up with a compromise, work in, um, working in a food laboratory in East L.A., but after a few months of doing that, I realized, you know what? It's not the same thing. This Why? isn't what, what I'm... What wasn't, this, what wasn't right about it? It wasn't what I was passionate about. What were you passionate about? I, I love the whole process of making something with my hands, you know, like a cake or a cookie, and giving it to a, a friend or feeding my family with it and seeing the reaction, yes. you know? So... Yes, you do that in the lab yeah. too, but when you're testing for food shelf life, it's not yeah. quite the same. <laughs> you give them a cookie and their response is your cookie, right? Yes. Yeah, for sure. Yes. I love it. Uh, so you graduated. I know you went to school in the Philippines, mm-hmm. uh, hotel and restaurant uh, school in the Philippines. I did. did and you, then you went to the, the, the labs, right? Yes. How much time elapsed from, how, like how long were you in the labs for? I was only in the lab for about four months, I think. Okay. Yeah, but then I just kept actively looking for job openings online, you okay. know. And so you knew pretty soon that this wasn't for you. Yes. I think, I think I didn't want to acknowledge it at the time, but at the back of my mind, I knew. Okay. So yeah. back over to Jeremy. You graduate college. What were you doing right out of college? Um, I immediately moved to Napa. Uh, my family lives up there. And... Uh, uh, I went to Bouchon to apply, and I sat in the car for a day because I was too nervous. Oh and my I gosh. went back home. Why were you nervous? Get into like this, like what, what was I mean, going through your is, mind? I think the height of Thomas Keller's. Right. You know. so what year is it at this point? Uh, babes, help me. Uh, <laughs> it was. So you came to San Antonio in two thousand nine, right? Oh six, oh seven. Oh, gosh. Um, Approximately. 2005, 2006, 2007. Yeah, right, right around there. Gotcha. Uh, it would have been no, 2006 or 2007. It was later. This was 08 when we worked oh, okay. at, at Bouchon. So you guys only spent a year at Bouchon then? Because you came to San Antonio yes. in 2009. Uh, no. no. We, came, we came to San Antonio 2010. Okay. Was, yeah, I was, yeah, I was at Bouchon for a year and a half. Yeah. So you graduate culinary school, and your first stop is Bouchon. Yeah. <laughs> so I sat in the car nervously and, and didn't go in. Uh, and then I came back the next day and applied and then staged. And How long did you sit in your car before that first day? Oh, probably hours. I mean, I got out, I walked up, walked back. It was, it was, it was pretty nerve-wracking. It was oh, in, very intimidating at the time. What were the thoughts going through your mind? Uh, that I'm not good enough. Oh, uh, man. Um, a lot of insecurities. How did you talk yourself off that cliff? Because I, I feel like that's something that we all probably feel at some point of our life when we're taking a leap to, to do something good for our careers. How did you talk yourself into overcoming that fear? Uh, I, I just went back the next day and said, this is what I came all the way up here for. And 
and this is why I went to culinary school, and, and this is the best, and this is where I need to be. So, so. You, f- you finally knock on the door, right? <laughs> what did the conversation look like? It's actually, it's a little bit funny because they, they had multiple positions open. They said, do you want to work bread side or pastry side? And I was like, I, I don't care. I would love to work either. And they said, well, the pastry chef's here. And I was like, pastry chef. Okay. So, <laughs> pastry side. Um, so, yeah. Beautiful. So, reflecting back at this time, like when you were, were approaching Bouchon, did you have a, a connection there? Uh, was, did you have a professor that was introducing you? I did know, I did know a, a, a former classmate of mine that worked there. Beautiful. Do me a favor. Pull that mic just a little bit closer. Sorry about no, that. you're doing great. You're doing great. Uh, so, I mean, what, what other information should we need? If we want to approach a restaurant that's at the height of its existence, right? And we're nervous. We're straight out. We're green. You know, we're still wet behind the ears. Like, what advice do you have for that person to, to, to make just it Just do happen? it. I mean, we, everybody, everybody comes in like that, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and I think if you're not intimidated and you're not scared, then you might be a little bit stupid. I mean, it, it's very intense work environment and if you're not timid if you're not a little scared you might be a little stupid or, or you're lying <laughs> no i love it <laughs> i love it so um now i guess let's, let's pivot back over to ann um how did were you as nervous as jeremy was or oh yeah okay <laughs> yeah i i definitely was um i remember buying the french laundry cookbook back when i was in high school you know and it was like this what high school kids buying the french laundry cookbook, by the way? <laughs> that's incredible i love that good for you keep going <laughs> but i remember when it came in the mail i was just wow i had to you know it was a special moment it was yeah. like unwrapping like this crazy awesome present how did you handle those recipes being a high school student were you were you able to tackle them pretty good move that mic right in front of your face for me too please thank you um i was pretty i was pretty ambitious back then like i was very stubborn (laughs) 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 yes even if i didn't know what i was doing i would Try to fumble my way through it. But that's the only it. way. You've you got to just try. You're going <laughs> to fall on your face a bunch of times, but yeah. every time you try it, you're going you're gonna to do a little aspect of it better, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so y- you knew from a very early age you wanted to work for Thomas Keller. Is that a safe assumption? Yes, but it was aspirational. I didn't think that I ever could. Okay. So why baker? Like why, why baking? What, what was your reason for going to Bichon? Um, I, uh, I work well... See, I have a science background. Mm-hmm. I work well with method and technique. Yep. And pastry offers that. Yes. I think it's a good, um, yeah, it's a good fusion of good food and that scientific approach that I, I like to it. work with. So you guys are finding yourself, you're both at Thomas Keller's restaurant. Uh, who got there first? I'm curious. I did. You he did? got there first. Okay. How long were you there before Anna came on board? A couple months. Okay. So, um, what was it like? Like, what were like? How did that experience influence your operations today? That was the hardest job I'd ever had up until we opened our own bakery. Paint the picture of hard. I remember, you know, going in and starting my shift right on time. And still not being able to finish everything that I was supposed to have finished in those eight hours every day. 
Um, and I, uh, after two weeks of doing that, you just break down, you cry. You're like, oh my gosh, like what have I gotten myself into? Oh, I'm man. just not cut out for this. I'm not good enough. I sat down, I remember, and I made a timeline of how, um, like, you know, markers of how I was supposed to finish everything in the eight hours that I was given. Mm. Yeah. And <laughs> it was, it was grueling. Well, I know ultimately you guys almost like this, this almost ruined your culinary experience. Right. And as far as like you, you guys, this was, it was, I mean, it must've been an incredible experience to work with that level of caliber. Uh, but at the same time, it, it almost just, it seems like it, it kind of discouraged you at one point where you guys thought you were done with the food industry and baking altogether. Is that not accurate? You know, I think you go through ups, you go through ups and downs, highs and lows. There's yeah. more to that story too. Well, tell us more to the story. Um, well, at least from my, my point, same thing two weeks in and you, I mean, this is back when you clocked out and you still work to get all your work done. Yeah. Um, and so after two weeks of 12 hour shifts, uh, we came in and, just determined to get it done in eight hours because I was tired of being there for 12 hours and exhausted. We both worked the overnight. Um, and so uh, I made the decision, and the next day I got all my work done in eight hours. And after that... You made what decision? To get all my work done in eight hours. <laughs> so <laughs> To not stay a minute okay. past what I was getting paid for. How did that go? It, it worked, but it, it took flipping a switch, a mental switch to to make it happen and i saw it happen with her and i've seen it happen with multiple all at once employees that work there you know the first two weeks are really horrible and grueling and then you get it just something clicks and you're able to get your work done okay um but while we were there i mean we we experienced the recession um eventually and lost her job i i lost all my hours okay. it was like kind of a call-in basis only I went to work for Sonoma Mission Inn, and then I had to take a hospital job just to be able to afford, you know, gas and cost of living. And so I was I was working insane hours, getting four or five hours sleep a night, and I I finally called it quits and moved to Texas and okay. took a job with a tech company. So why Texas? Well, I mean, what was actually before we get into that? Uh, anything we can unpackage um, from your time? Any lessons about standards? Uh, I mean, honestly, do you think it was un? unhealthy the standards that they operate at or is it is it a necessary evil to to get your you know to build your resume like dive into that like i think it's incredibly impressive what he was able to accomplish owning a bakery now and and trying to keep those standards ourselves it i don't know how he did it i mean i'd love to pick his brain and just how did you do that and and how did you um how, how did you uh I mean, I think it has a lot to do with the, the people he's able to attract onto himself. It's, it's amazing how many people I've interviewed that have touched Thomas Keller some way, somehow. That have come yes. through one of his restaurants. Yeah. And he, he cranks out owners and operators. It's incredible how he does that. And I don't know if it's just because you're able to tie your brand to Thomas Keller. So then people are like, oh, like he must have – he must – or she must know what the job done right looks like because of this pedigree. So, like, we'll invest in you. I mean, you're, you're basically, you might be giving up a year of your life and you might be miserable in the process, but, like, what is that experience going to grant you access to? Right. The level of detail at, 
at his restaurants is just incredible. Um, at the bakery, the brass fittings for the water heater were polished daily. Jesus. I mean, it's just incredible. Um, How does he keep that level of, of excellence, the standard of excellence? What things, what processes are put in place to make sure those things are happening every day? You know, he just, the organization has the discipline to say, this is our standard. We will not compromise or bend, you know? Um, yeah. And when you go into an organization like that, you work with extremely driven people. Mm. Every single person that walks through those doors, they're walking in there with a purpose. They know why they're there. It's not just a job to them. Mm-hmm. You know, they life. know this is their life. This yeah. is their career. Mm. So everyone's extremely driven. And I think that drive is what made everyone, like all the alumni of that organization, like just, you know, become unstoppable. So he was, once yeah, they left. yeah. So he, he, his ability to meet these standards was because of the people he was able to attract onto himself and the level, the caliber of individual he attracted onto himself. Yes. I mean, and, it's extremely competitive, but I mean, Some, how, yeah. how do we recreate that today? Like what is the, the equivalent? Uh, is it, I mean, he got all these, these not, you know, accolades and recognition from industry awards. I mean, what else can you do to attract onto yourself? Great people. I don't, I, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, I mean, we never received, I don't think we ever received direct pressure from his organization. It was self-pressure. Nobody wanted yeah. to be the guy that yeah. messed up. Mm. Um, yeah. How do you create that culture? How do we recreate that? In our I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's just like a, just like if, if your brand has enough presence, if your brand's represented enough through a, a, as no, um, as many channels as Thomas Keller's brand was presented, it's just like the the brand becomes bigger than the person, right? And I think you could say the same thing about Danny Meyer. You know, like mm-hmm. he, he has like, in Thomas Keller, th- their presence is just so magnificent throughout the industry that people know, like in anywhere. And like, you're just going to attract, it's like, a, it's like a moth to a light, you yeah. know? And I don't, like, I think only a few people have the, will ever be able to get to that point. Right. Uh, but there are some other things we can do to, to maintain standards. I um, mean, you, you got to attract onto yourself that have people that have the same level right. of standard, but once they're there, like, is it just an unspoken culture? Are there systems and processes in place that, that where boxes being checked to make sure that the brass thing got polished? Yes. I mean, definitely. Yes. There are procedures. Um, everyone knows their job and, um, what they're supposed to do. But, you know, to translate this into pastry, that is one thing that we try to do every day when we work at the commissary kitchen and we train our guys. You know, we tell them, hey, look, mistakes happen, but the customers cannot see that. You have to have the discipline to look back at your work and say and decide for yourself, is that good enough? Mm. You know, because that is someone's splurge at the end of the day you know it might not be a lot of money it might be three dollars for a cookie but that's a lot and the fact that they're deciding to come into your bakery and invest that time and money in your product 
you should care yes. about that. I love it. And I love just like the, something that you said. One thing we can do to maintain these, these cultures, right, is to develop a certain language. And for you guys, that language is, is that good enough? Is that what you said? Yeah. Well, we, yeah. You wanted a mantra. We, we do have one there. If there's any question, there's no question. Yes. And so most of the time we find ourselves like, oh, is this good enough? If you're asking that question, you already that's know the answer. answer. Yeah, if you're questioning it. Yeah. Exactly. And that's, again, like back to like all cultures have rituals and languages, right? And you need to right. develop these languages right. uh, so that people can make decisions for themselves, right? They don't right. need to check with somebody, but they know because exactly. you give them that language. Most of the time it's our own laziness. This is the stuff I'm looking us. for. Yeah. <laughs> Most of the time it's our it. own laziness <laughs> trying to talk us out of not having to make it again. Yeah, I feel that. Uh, so, so when you got out of Bashan, it wasn't necessarily because you were burnt out. Um, you were feeling the pressure of the industry, but it was also the economic condition that forced you to have to, it was definitely the economic okay. condition. I'm happy we cleared that up. Thank you for yeah. bringing that up. So, um, I guess uh, let's talk about, so you, you ended up moving to Texas. Why Texas? Uh, my sister lived here and worked for a tech company and she'd been bugging me for years to come out and get a job with them. And I was like, I'm kind of doing this culinary thing. Uh, and then I just got incredibly burnt out yep. and tired and tired of not making any money. Uh, and so I, I just, I, I left. Okay. And we were kind of at a questionable time in our relationship. So at this point, you're dating. You're together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you come back to Texas. You're working. At, you're both working at the same tech company. Is that what happened? Not originally. We, we both ended up working at the same tech company, but not originally. Okay. I, I think, started first. I think right around this time is when you started noticing the farmer's markets in San Antonio, correct? So I think now is maybe a good time to take a break to thank our sponsors, and we'll be right back. You hear me say it all the time on the show. This industry is all about relationships and people. But even though you might be geared towards relationships and people, you still need to know your numbers. And if numbers is not your thing, I got to tell you about this book, QuickBooks for Restaurants, a bookkeeping and accounting guide by Zach Weiner. This is the back office restaurant accounting guide you've been searching for. Zach Weiner covers accounting fundamentals, including sales tracking, purchasing, bill paying, invoicing, managing day-to-day liabilities, gift certificate tracking, cash management, detailed reporting, and so much more. Ultimately, Zach shows owners and operators how to create the accurate financials and reporting that will enable them to make better informed data-driven decisions. To learn more and to get Zach's book, head to zachweiner.com slash unstoppable. That's Z-A-C-W-E. I-N-E-R dot com slash unstoppable. And because you are Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, if you use that link, you will save 50% off a one-on-one consulting call. Yeah, that's right. What are you waiting for? All right, we're back. Um, and I feel, feel like this is like the origin story, really, for Bakery uh, Lorraine. So you, you notice these, these, uh, these farmer's markets. Tickets to that point. Um, I had always loved going to farmer's markets in California. Um, and I, I see a lot of small business owners over there um, selling their stuff. Um, so, I mean, at that point, it was a pipe dream, right? California is just, it's hard. Um, the barrier to entry there is very high. Yeah. So I never thought we'd be able to make it in a farmer's market there. But when we came here... There was the Pearl Farmer's Market, 
we had tried to get into that because um, I was actually working at the Pearl. I had worked for Andrew Weissman okay. at Il Sonio yeah. um, back then. And um, we really loved the farmer's market at Pearl. We'd drive up to Austin and go to the farmer's markets there. And when we heard that someone was starting a new one at the quarry at the Whole Foods parking lot, we jumped at the opportunity, went out there and talked to the guys who were running it to see if they'd be open to having us. Um, at that point, they already had um, a couple of bakers there, yeah. I think. So they were like, uh, I don't think we need any more bakers. But then one of the guys told us, well, you know how to make a ricotta cheesecake? <laughs> and we're like, yeah. So we made one. We dropped it off the next week. And then we didn't revisit that whole farmer's market bid for months and then finally one day um, we decided to just drop by for a visit and they recognized us and they were like oh my gosh we've been looking for you guys <laughs> they loved the cheesecake and they invited us to join the farmer's market so what was the point of asking about specifically ricotta cheesecake was that a test to see that if you could do is that like a traditionally difficult cheesecake to create or did they just no i think he just liked yeah he just okay. liked it <laughs> So he was just trying to get a cheesecake. Out yeah, of which he did. Nice. Uh, so wait, is there an underlying embedded lesson in that? Uh, this approach you guys took? Like, is it just don't take like how many times did you try? How many times did you ask? How persistent were you? Was it just this one time that you asked and then you dropped your cheesecake off? And it was oh, no, all they needed? we tried to get into the Pearl Farmers Market. We filed our application. You know, we went through all the steps and they said no. OK, so, OK. I mean, we weren't really put down by that. You know, we understand. They already had a few bakers. So we yeah. knew we just needed to find the opportunity um, elsewhere. And to be frank, we never thought that we'd turn it into a full-time job. You know, we had full-time jobs. Yeah. And this was going to be a once-a-week thing because we missed it. At that point, we were already at the tech company. Okay. But we still loved baking. I was that curious. Never yeah. left. So when you guys came to San Antonio, was it ever on the table that you guys were going to open a bakery out here or did it just kind of happen? Not at all. <laughs> so, like, so approaching uh, the farmer's market was just kind of a way to, to scratch the baking itch to, yes. to keep it in your life. Absolutely. The- we had been baking for people at the tech company as well. Okay. And during <laughs> our time there, we just I'm sure they missed loved it. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and they, uh, you know, we... I think uh, just n- weren't finding the kind of pastries that we wanted to find right. uh, once we moved here. Right. Gotcha. And before the tech company, I tried to look for a job around town for a pastry chef. And they don't really exist very much. Okay. They didn't back then. Okay. It's difficult. So, yeah. So you guys were never planning on opening a restaurant. You just wanted to... to flex this baking muscle that you developed and you had you wanted to keep it active uh, right you drop off this ricotta pie they love it and that was your invitation yes were you just just doing ricotta pies or were you baking everything you guys actually wanted to do? we weren't doing those at all <laughs> what we had started making were pies we do fruit pies um cream pies um and a few breakfast pastries like muffins we used to have to submit them a menu so we didn't, there was a no a competition. Kind of a no there was no conflict. Thing, yeah. Uh, every week or what we planned to do. And, and really, that was the R&D for what we have today. And Wait, then, get into how that became your R&D. Uh, we changed the menu every week. So every week was some sort of new, new pastry, new pie, new yeah. quiche. 
something new every week. And just in doing that, we found the things that worked, the things that didn't okay. work. Yeah, and what was great about that whole process, too, was we got instant feedback. Yes. Yeah. So this is interesting. I love this getting proof of concept, right? But it's interesting because you weren't even trying to get it, which I think is kind of funny because you had never had the intent to open a bakery. Were you still trying to do art? I mean, you were selling these bakeries. You are making a, some type of profit, I'm assuming. Cause, so were you just trying to eat, increase your profit right there at the farmer's market? Is that kind of the, the R&D you were doing? Or it really, was it just a I don't byproduct? even think it was a money thing at that point. You know, it was Right. It we was had full-time like jobs. We yeah. Didn't, yeah. You just wanted to see we what made people well. the most happy, right? Yeah. yeah. We just wanted to see, well, you know, what else can we do? What else can we make? So at what point did this hobby become... Like, when did you say we should take a stab at this? We should try to make this our full-time thing. There was, there was one morning when we showed up at the farmer's market and we were running late. That happened a lot back in those days. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We were running late. And when we got there, our friend who had been helping us out, Kelly, he had already had our tent set up. Okay. And our tables... Like everything was already set up, and there was a line of about 25 people, people waiting for you. Waiting, and oh. the market had just opened. Oh, that's a sign right there. Right. There was nobody at any other stall. <laughs> it was just this line, and, and we just started laughing. We just, I mean, hysterically, because we were tired and we no. couldn't believe what we were seeing. What yeah. we were seeing. It was I, I'm curious, incredible. Why were, you, why were you guys late? Tell us the truth. Were you out partying the night before? What was going on there? Oh, we were baking. We oh. were baking, yeah. <laughs> so, okay. She worked in the mornings and I worked in the evenings. Gotcha. And then when I got up, she would start when she yeah. got gotcha, off. Gotcha. And then I would continue and we baked all through the night. So, I mean, obviously your, your pastries, what you were baking was delicious. That I'm sure had something to do with the line. But what else was building this line? What else was building it? Um, customer interaction. Having mm. that one-on-one interaction with all our customers we knew everybody who came we developed a lot of regulars at the farmer's market what's your approach to taking care of that customer early on like when you don't know somebody like how are you are you just asking questions are you just paying attention like we we love the interaction and we love pastry and so we love educating people on pastry yeah i think they can feel how much you love it and then another Another thing that we've always believed in is being generous. Mm. So, you know, we've literally had to, this is down the road after we opened our first bakery at Grayson. Yeah, but we've literally had to chase someone down the street because they came in and balked at why your cookies are so expensive, you know, (laughs) and walked out. But we're like, you know what? We, We want him to taste and Make a make a sound judgment after he's tried it to see why it doesn't cost a dollar for our jumbo cookies. Yeah, you know how much and were your jumbo cookies priced? At? I'm curious. They're three dollars. Okay. Yeah, but we use all top shelf ingredients, mm-hmm. um, and he had that cookie. He graciously accepted it, and guess what? He, he came back. I bet he turned into a regular. I think that's a really important lesson, and something that we need to be like really like cemented in in. We all need to agree on this one thing. Charge what the product's worth. And I think we've gotten in trouble as an industry 
price gouging each other, but trying to be a little bit lower than the next guy. And, and as a result, our, our whole industry, we've, we've twisted the expectation, the value of food as a result. And right. I think we need to really, if we're going to see change and we're going to transform the industry, we need to teach people how to do menu engineering and how to figure out to the penny what that thing is worth. And then be steadfast, stick to our guns and teach people the value of food. Yes, absolutely. Same, I mean, uh, quantity or quality over quantity. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you can get, you know, from Costco, you can get a pie this big yeah. for like five bucks or something ridiculous. Yeah. But we sell ours for $26. It's a nine inch pie. It's, but the difference is stark. So, yeah. Uh, but we're only, I think we're only going to get there if we collectively, you know, don't put out crap. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, <laughs> the goal. when did this entrepreneur find you? There's an entrepreneur in your life, a, th- a third leg to this this table that we haven't really gotten into yet. D- did he pl- start planting seeds? Who approached who? How did that this this partnership form? Um, so Charlie's girlfriend at the time ordered some macarons from us for his birthday, and uh, we delivered them to her. And before we even got home, they're like, "Oh, these are great. Uh, can we have some?" some more can we have a dozen more and we're like sure and then that was followed by a text that said can we have two dozen more <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which we obliged them and and then you know our original plan we were going to do a food truck um kind of not in the traditional sense yeah i've never heard of a bakery pastry food shop truck. so we wanted to have a really small footprint like a not a sprinter or anything like that more like a transit van small yeah uh and be highly mobile with a you know, espresso machine and, and just stick and move to businesses and deliver pastry and coffee for coffee breaks. Um, and Charlie was on board with that. He had previously um, tried to do a food truck and it fell through. And so he was still interested in breaking into the industry. Okay. And so we started talking. And um, another good friend of ours who's a restaurateur in San Antonio um, kind of let us know, you don't have to spend a half a million dollars to open a brick and mortar. You guys know that, right? And Who is this entrepreneur or this restaurant? Uh, Chad Carey. Okay. So what was the point that he was trying to make? That, that on, a, on a small, tight budget, you can, you can still open a brick and mortar, and, and that would probably be a better thing for us than trying to do a food truck. Why would that be better? Uh, having a home base, just yeah. having your own kitchen to work yeah. out of, that's huge. I yeah. know a ton yeah. of food truck operators and it's a rough gig. It's important to communicate that because I think that the general census out there right now is that it's easier to operate a food truck. Um, it's it might be, it might be less expensive at first. Mm-hmm. And you have to keep in mind that like the food truck world isn't quite the same either. The, the, the people that were having extreme success with food trucks, 10 years ago were the only food trucks on scene. Exactly. Um, so the fact that there's way more food trucks now and the fact that it's really not necessarily easier, it's actually more difficult to be mobile. Uh, it's harder to have routine and systems in a mobile situation, right? Right. Um, I think it's important. Like, What are the other challenges of a food truck that I'm not listing right now that, that comes to your mind? Uh, I mean, the work environment. You know, yeah. Texas gets hot. our summers are yes, <laughs> yeah. exactly, yeah. exactly. And Working we on have those trucks is hot. Work. Yes, we had Jay Kim from Cilantro. I don't know if you're familiar with the brand. Talking yes. about his time, it's like yeah. a, it's, if it's 110 degree or 105 degrees outside. Yeah, it's like 130, 120 yes. degrees in a food truck. And yes. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, we've experienced yeah, we those conditions. Yeah. <laughs> we've worked in a food truck. Yeah, so. We know we've been in there and <laughs> it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so this entrepreneur taught you that there's a way to do it uh, without having to drop half a million dollars. Um, 
was he a part of this this partnership? Because we had your your par- partner Charlie and this other. Was he just coaching you? Was he a mentor? No, he was a customer. Okay, <laughs> okay. We supplied desserts for his restaurant and uh, br- uh, brunch pastries on the weekends. Um, no, just a friend. Okay, and tell me a little bit more about Charlie. It sounds like he he's a serial entrepreneur. He, he tried to do. Um, a food truck. Was he in the restaurant industry? Is he still in the restaurant industry? Well, yeah, obviously, because just he's with us. Here. Yeah. Um. So he's he's from San Antonio. He okay. grew up here, and you know, did some traveling for a little bit. Came back and decided he wanted to do something cool. You know, in this town, the San Antonio is just growing at yeah. such a rapid yeah. pace. You know, and he saw that early on, and he wanted to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And he loves San Antonio, so you know he just wants to do cool things. Here. What was he doing before uh, investing in restaurants? I, he I actually know. had a tattoo shop. Okay. Also here in town, um, and then it was also at that point in time when he started with us. He decided to get his MBA from okay. UT. Yeah, so it, I think it was a confluence of a lot of things. What, what was it about Charlie that gave you that gut feeling that this guy is right for us? We sat down, had conversations with him, and it just, I don't know. Some he's things are unspoken. Nice yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's, yeah. A, he's very generous and uh, just a nice guy yeah. all around. And you can just feel it. Yeah. Yeah. So what does that partnership look like? Is he, is he just a, a financial investor partnership? Does he, does he do any operations? Oh, no. He's active in the company. Okay. So Yeah. He takes care of a lot of the, the financial side of things. Um, uh, anything back end because we're You're, our hands are always so tied to you know production and day to day. So he helps with a lot of those. Yeah, and the reason why I'm pushing trying to find out more about Charlie is because yeah. it's something I say all the time. I, I to, to be truly competitive in today's market, to wear all the hats that you need to wear to to, to stand out. You need to know Absolutely. how to market. You need to be the technician and do the thing really well. You need to be able to manage the people really well. You need the the person that's good with the numbers. There's so many things you need to be good right. at in yeah. today's age to to stand a chance. It gets even it's just like the big guys, right? Yeah. Um, how did he round you off? What did he have? Like you guys are were clearly the technicians, right? The skilled, the, the people right. that did the thing. Right. Um, what, what did he bring to the table that you guys needed to, to execute like you executed? It, it definitely the business aspect of it. Um, it's kind of, we're so lucky to have this like triangle. Uh, I, I meet restaurateurs that they did it themselves or yeah. it's just them and their wives. And so, you know, Anne can get lost in, you know the art of pastry and make she can make a tart that we, we would have to sell for twelve dollars and we would not be able to make any money off of it and Charlie wants us to use you know cheaper ingredients and get our food costs down and I'm able to kind of bridge the gap and say no we're gonna use that and no you can't make that tart because we're not going to make any money off of it and so it all just balances out it's so nice to have three of us there's always we're always in check there's no one person that's like a driving force in it we all keep each other in check and balanced yeah i mean sometimes it's good to have even if somebody doesn't necessarily agree with what you want to do um to to kind of help you like get less polar 
Yeah. Right. And it's good to, you know, to have your values and to do things a certain way, but it's also good to have somebody who has a different perspective right. to help you see something that you might not be considering because Absolutely. of the, what you're trying to execute. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. And he has been very instrumental in helping the business grow. You know, when you're, when you're busy, like trying to fulfill all your orders and put out pastries in the morning, there's no time for you to think about, oh, maybe we should hire a bookkeeper to come in and help us. Maybe we should think about hiring an operations manager to take care of this. See, maybe we should look at opening another location, yeah. you know? Yeah, you, yeah, you don't. And that's... That's what he brought to the table. Because your nose down, you're doing the thing, yes. right? You don't, you're putting all of your energy into doing the thing that you do better. You need those people who are eyes up, mm-hmm. right? Exactly. Um, so take us like take us through uh, the opening of that first restaurant. So you have Charlie. Um, you have these. You're growing your network within San Antonio. Your your local. Um, I don't know if they're mentors or colleagues or right? collaborators. People saying, "Hey, like, have you considered like a cheaper brick and mortar and starting where you can?" I, I, we also I noticed you guys did pop ups. We didn't really get into pop-ups and the significance of pop-ups. So you had the the weekly farmer's market. How were you implementing pop-ups? Was this before or after Charlie came on board? Um, it was, I think it was kind of around the same time okay. that it happened. Um, it, it's all a blur right now. Yeah. I mean, we didn't sleep much. We were very tired. About yeah. Those days. Yeah. yeah. Um, but we were working full time on top of this. Yes, right? we were. At the tech company. Yes, at the tech company. That's crazy. And we were supplying a few places with pastries. Okay. So you had some wholesale. Not wholesale, but... Um, we had wholesale. Wholesales. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, they did. Um, Reluctantly. So yeah. How many, <laughs> approximately, how many wholesale accounts did you guys have? I think we had... Three, four. 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 We had four at that okay. point, um, which, I mean, we never actively pursued any of them. Um, the opportunity came and... We jumped on it. Were you uh, supplying mostly like cafes and things of that nature? Yeah. Or, okay. Yeah. Two cafes, two restaurants. So yeah. you both had a full-time job. You're both doing the farmer's market. You're, <laughs> you're doing wholesale and you're doing pop-ups. Yeah. So what did these pop-ups look like? What, take us through what was the intention of the pop-ups? What were you trying to uh, execute with them or beyond just feeding people? Um, you know, it, I think it, it, it's not so much um, pop-up as like, collaborations like we collaborated with the monterey um we would make some desserts for them and if they had a special event a pop-up um then they'd come to us and ask us hey you know we're doing this do you guys have any ideas for dessert then we'd do that for them I'm, so you guys can't see my face right now because we have these masks on but i promise <laughs> you i'm smiling ear to ear. Uh, i love this mentality of collaboration and i think that's such a underutilized skill set to be able to collaborate and do what you do best and help other businesses round off their product offering. And then, I mean, like get into like this approach of collaboration, like really dissect that a little bit more. Give us advice on how to collaborate and how to approach other businesses and what that should look like. Oh gosh. Well, um, you know, especially here in San Antonio, the restaurant community, it used to be very small. So everyone knew from each other and everyone had worked for, you know, one of three or four chefs around town. So um, it starts with conversation, you know, and just having the energy, um, some buzz, some excitement. And, you know, you just start spitballing ideas and 
And hey, you know, why not? Yeah. Let's, it, let's do this. What, what spun off from those collaborations? How did those collaborations serve you? Um, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, no, sorry. You're, you're fine. You're fine. Like, I, mean, I mean, we did one with the Monterey. It was a donut fight where we made two donuts and they made two donuts. And that was a lot of fun. So it's not just like, it's, it's having fun with it and oh, making a competition. Yes. Yeah, it should yes. totally be fun. Yeah. Um, and we opened a donut shop. But yeah. Not totally because of that. But yeah. I mean, but you know, there was something else that, that came out of this collaboration. So um, we had made a Pop-Tart, which... Um, we still do have at the bakery. It's a very popular item. Um, but the guys at the Monterey had wanted a pop tart that was um, that would that would that they'd serve with um, pears. They wanted kind of like a cheese plate approach, and so we're like, no, they wanted a pear pop tart to go with the cheese. Yeah, plate. that's right. Okay, yes, they wanted a pear pop tart <laughs> to go with the cheese plate. They came to us with that idea. And after a few tries, we just couldn't get it to work. Pears, the consistency just did not work okay. in our Pop-Tart. So Jeremy had a brilliant idea. He thought, wait a minute, why don't we reverse it? Put the cheese in the Pop-Tart because it would probably hold up a lot better. And yeah. maybe they serve it with a pear preparation, Okay, which we brought that idea to them. And, you know, a few tries later, back and forth, there we have it. We we came up with a blue cheese pop tart. They served it with a walnut crumble and poached pears, and but now you're really on their menu, right? And they have a decent following in San Antonio. Correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, right? So now you're giving them a solution. You're you're upping their game. And in return, I don't want to make assumptions, but we're, I'm assuming they gave you a nod on the menu, or they mentioned you, or was anything yeah, like that? Oh, yeah, yeah, so always. Exactly, so like yeah. you're, helping them, you're, you're helping them elevate their game, in return, yes. they're promoting your business, and cr- helping create further you know, yeah, awareness. exactly. And we can't look at restaurants in our business, or in our communities, as competition. Like, are they literally competition? Yeah, we're, we're all fighting for the same business, right? Right. But it's those people that are willing to look beyond that, to support each other, exactly. and take care of each other's well-being, that Exactly. always rise to the top exactly um exactly yeah i think we definitely feel that in our community the san antonio restaurant community is very very yeah. close but you got to give before you get and if you close yourself off and if you don't make yourself approachable and you aren't willing to collaborate you're 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 cutting yourself short of that opportunity right, right. exactly um, so we haven't even talked about actually opening your restaurant yet but i'm loving this conversation <laughs> you guys are sharing some great stuff so um you where did you end up settling on the, your first spot? Like not settling, but what your, your choice. It, it really wasn't even a choice. We had a regular customer who said, I've got the perfect property for you. Okay. And showed us the property and it was a condemned house. Okay. And we're like, <laughs> there's never in a million years we could afford to make that. Yeah. And we kind of just brushed it off. Cause it was, I mean, it was, I, I could show you a picture. It's, it was very dilapidated. <laughs> if you, uh, we will take that picture because I would love to. This we have the video going, so it'd be cool yeah. to see that photo. Keep going. Um, anyways, uh, and then they they reapproached us. Said no, really, and they made it. You know, between Charlie and uh, our landlord, they made a deal on what they would take care of on on home or business improvement, uh, property improvement, yeah, and what we would take care of, and and it fit in our budget. Yeah, and uh, we had the cutest little bakery in Texas at, at one point. Yeah, 
That's awesome. So you mentioned earlier that you don't have to open a brick and mortar for $500,000. Do you mind sharing what you're able to get that first spot open for? Uh, I think it was right around $150,000. A whole house, $150,000. I mean, we well, had... that we, was our share. Our share. Okay. Then right. the landlords did... They basically took care of everything on the outside. Okay. And we took care of the inside stuff. How long did um, it take? What, did you guys do a lot of the work yourself or was it all contracted? We were very lucky. Um, Charlie has a lot of friends in the in the artist community um we had woodworkers again that came. collaboration right? yes oh yeah. this one was com- i mean it was amazing Completely. there was a bunch of sheds in the back that they had repurposed the wood and made all the cabinets um, of- we had glass blower friends that blew knobs for our, all the for all the cabinets and- yeah i mean it was it was an amazing collaboration beautiful um so you guys open you have you have this foundation of a, a local fall another benefit of starting small I, people always want to start with their brick and mortar they get investors they sell their idea they get a million dollars they open their 200 seat location crickets yeah. right whereas what you guys did you started where you could small you developed relationships you found people you prove you have proof of concept you're doing market testing right yeah you're fine-tuning your recipes and then you have this following you open right and now you have awareness and people are excited like do you do you want to compound on what i'm sharing i don't want to put words into your mouth but i'm just kind of no you're completely right i mean we were we had a community um around the bakery before we even had a bakery yeah and it made the transition going in i mean our first day open i mean it was a great day it was it wasn't crickets you know (laughs) <laughs> yeah. <good>. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, there, there was a ton of people the first day, the next day, right. the next so you, day. You guys we, opened your first brick and mortar in 2012? That was, oh gosh. Sorry, I, I work chronologically. And I don't yeah. forget sometimes not everybody works my, is yeah. wired like I am. <laughs> I think uh, so. I think it it's was been a 2012. Blur, so yeah. Yeah. If, excuse us. Yeah. So how long did it take you guys to go from one to two? And was that, was that Charlie kind of encouraging you to expand? Well, um, Charlie and the Pearl. So um, when we were at our first brick and mortar, we were on 511 East Grayson, just on the other side of Broadway, across from the whole Pearl Brewery development. Okay. And they were still very young in those days. I think there were only three restaurants on premise. So real quick, um, not to take you off track, what is the Pearl for people who aren't completely familiar with? Ah, yes. It's, uh, so it used to be the Pearl Beer Brewery. Okay. And when it shut down, um, it's now a privately owned and developed mixed use um, property. So yeah. it's, yeah. Like kind of culinary themed. Yes. There's it's a, a culinary CIA destination. Campus and- Gotcha. Thank you. So keep going. Sorry. <laughs> no, um, that's just fine. Um, so at that point, the Pearl had approached us. They were looking for tenants that they wanted to go in there. And they were, they were really strict about how they were curating the property. They had a vision of how they wanted it to turn out. And they invited us to go in there. They wanted a bakery. We were their first choice. If we turned them down, they would get another bakery to go in there. And at that point in time, I think both of us agreed that our business was too small to be able to sustain someone else going in there, you know, with that kind of firepower. So so we, you're afraid, let me make sure I understand, you're afraid that if you passed up on the opportunity, the competition, the, the other person that took that opportunity would like smother you out. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we were a little 
brick and mortar bakery and a little craftsman house, like couple blocks. yeah, in a in a neighborhood, yeah. you know, a couple so, blocks from this. So this like, is oh, like right in your neighborhood, right? Okay, exactly. Um, so we thought it was a good opportunity to take, and we took it. Um, and opening at Pearl really propelled um, a lot of our growth. Okay, past the little house. How so? Well, the Pearl is a destination. Mm. Like when people come to San Antonio, they stop at the Pearl Brewery. So now you're getting like international acknowledgement because you're tying your brand with all these other successful brands. Right. The cream's literally rising to the top right now. Here. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't say <laughs> that it's international, but people come to San Antonio. Like, what are we gonna do? Like, yes. where are we gonna go? Well, you got to go to the Pearl. Yes. Right? And it, so you're getting this exposure maybe you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. Absolutely. Being standing alone. Absolutely. It's more a foot unique traffic. space because yes. locals go there too. Yeah. As well as tourists, uh, it's it's always busy. Yeah. Okay. So, um, how far was it? Like miles from. You said it was just a couple blocks, you said? So, like, half a mile distance, less? It's, it wasn't even half a mile. Yeah, oh, wow. not even half yes. a mile. Okay, so let me say So, you, yeah. you kept your first location, and you opened up a half mile down the street. Well, we shut down our first location okay. once we moved everything okay. to Pearl. and um, Opened a commissary right. a couple okay. blocks away. Okay, so did you sell that? Like, We or, held on to it we for we a couple on years. Okay. Yeah, what was but, the reason for that? Because... Um, we put so much work and love into it, and um, we wanted we. It was our intention to do a concept there. We just didn't know what. Yeah, um, right. We and had played around with the donut shop for a long time. Yeah, um, got you. That was an idea, but I think at that point our hands were just so full because yeah, when we moved to Pearl, we walked into something we did not expect and that we weren't prepared for. It was just so incredibly busy that we didn't have time to look up. So eventually, we had to give up the spot. Um, we never owned it anyway, so we okay. just terminated our. So that lease. wasn't necessarily your second location. It was just a uh, you just t- took your first location and relocated. Yes. And when did you start working multiple units? How how long did it take you to get to that point? So once we had the commissary kitchen, we saw an opportunity there. So like, you had the commissary. So you had the pearl location. Then you, the next move for you was develop the commissary location. We actually did the commissary first. Okay. Um, so we were open and ready for once the pearl opened. Yeah. Um, so once we're once pearl opened, we we could just transition gotcha. seamlessly to pearl. So was the commissary? Were you guys thinking ahead, saying like we want to do more than just this one location, but we know this one location? Were you trying to like kind of build your framing? Before no, I don't no? think we had thought that far ahead. To be honest with you, um, just the 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 rent for Pearl is so high. Um, I could have filled that whole space with bakery equipment. Got you. And so we ended up um, paying cheaper rent, filled that with baking, so we could get seats at Pearl. Okay, um, beautiful. Um, so. W- any key lessons? I mean, we've been talking a lot. You, you're now at five locations. I'm a little curious at how you guys, being two technicians, you eventually had to attract onto yourself people like Thomas Keller had done, right? And why he's able to operate at the level he operates. When were you able to start to replace yourself? So are you, are you guys still, you're sitting here, 
it's lunchtime, so the people back there must know what they're doing, right? Um, take us through that process of, of being able to replace yourself with others so you could scale to five locations. And you have locations in Austin, Texas now, hour yes. and a half drive. So yes. take us through that. We have, we have a great staff. Um, and our staff now is probably the best that it's ever been um, and, and does allow us to step away and um, even go on vacation occasionally. Uh, it was a hard process, especially for Ann to step away and give control to somebody else. But um, we trust our people, and uh, you have to have that trust with right. your staff. And they make mistakes, and, and we have <clears throat> to be able to pick them up when they fall down. Yeah. So it's, you know, I'm actually going through this myself. Casey's sitting right here. Casey's my first partner to Restaurant Unstoppable. And I'm, it's, I'll be the first person to admit to, to give somebody else that you, you spend seven years of your life developing this brand, this reputation, and to hand that to somebody and say, like, I trust you to represent what we stand for. How do, give me advice right now. Like, what advice do you have for me to, to let go of some of this stuff and to, to, to be generous with trust? Ooh, um, you, you know, I know, I know He's it's sitting right there. So. Yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult. And it's a matter of trust, you know, and trust is something foundational that you have to build on with a person over time. So I just think if you, if you find who you think is the right person, build that relationship with mm. them, have that rapport, know that you'll be able to trust them. Um, know that you know they can make a decision on your behalf when you're not around, and it it might not always be the right thing. But you trust them, and you know that they made that decision to the best of their judgment at that point in time. Yeah, and it yeah. sounds like you struggled more with like letting go a little bit, right? Absolutely. What, what was that inner dialogue for you? What was your biggest fear? My biggest fear. <laughs> Uh, stuff not coming out right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what things did you do to help your people make sure things were coming out right? So training, a lot of training, um, a lot of troubleshooting if they make a mistake. Um, also repetition. Um, you do the same thing over and over again. Yeah. Everyone gets better at it, you know. And we um, also do a lot of cross-training so we can be sure that if someone else is gone, another person can come in and, you know, fill that spot. Maybe not to the same degree um, of proficiency that that person who stepped out is able to do that job, but someone can, yeah. you know, in a pinch. Yeah. And like we mentioned earlier, baking is a science, you know, and it's, it's probably one of the most difficult things to train somebody else how to stay consistent with exactly how you would do it because there's so many little things that could go wrong to yeah. make it come out the exact same every time. Absolutely. Yeah, there's no good fixes when something gets messed <laughs> yeah. up. Like, so you, you know, savory cooking, yeah. you can you know, salvage something. And so you guys have to be a master of process, right? Yes. Step by step. So what yes. does that training look like? Um, reading the recipe. Mm. I will say that over and over and over again yeah. because... Yeah, it's just something that's easy to overlook. You know, it, it's a lot of words and numbers yeah. on a sheet of paper and you get your eyes get fatigued after a while. But you have to um, read your recipe, know the process. And also, we always tell everybody, you know, 
if there's any doubt in your mind, ask. Yeah. There is no such thing as a stupid question. Yes. And what was the other one-liner you guys had? Like, if there's a question... There's, there's no, no question. Qu- there's no question. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um, so we kind of alluded earlier, you guys started like your first st- um, unique concept aside from... Uh, your bakery, uh, the the donut shop. The name's escaping me. I'm, I apologize. Oh, Maybell's. Maybell's. Thank you yeah. very much. Um, you when did you open Maybell's? Uh, we opened it again. Back to the, the years. Yeah, <laughs> three years ago, three? Okay. I believe, 2017. And that was a spinoff from a collaboration that you guys maybe you found in, like a, a skill or a, a niche that you could carve out in the market that was wasn't being served or underserved. Yes, and apart from that. Um, Early on, after I just met Jeremy, he told me he always wanted a donut shop. That was what he wanted. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So this must be a little sensitive for you because the, the, you guys had to close the, the shop only a few months ago. Um, we made the decision to close. Uh, it was a strain on our resources. Um, we didn't have to close. It was paying the bills. Um, but it was just a drain on our resources. So the, take us through that. Like, how do you um, how do you make that tough call? Because this is your baby. This was your ultimate vision, your dream, the thing you always wanted to do. How do you let go of that? Um, it w- it wasn't easy. It was a tough decision to make. Um, I I think our lo- I think one we were maybe a, a couple years too late getting okay. into the donut game. Maybe missed the wave a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. a little bit. And then and then the location, we were at Pearl, but um, we are in a food hall, and um, we're the only breakfast place in the food hall, and pe- people would have to walk. I think donuts is something that you pick up on the way to the office, yeah. or just wasn't a great location for that um, okay. for the morning. Most of our business was like late afternoon, evening. Um, and so, yeah, we, we just... Yeah. I think I mean, we wanted to focus on the bakery and what we were doing yeah. there, and it was kind yeah. of just draining. And apart us. from that, the bakery is just right across the street, so we decided, you know what? We still have a venue to sell a few donuts. We still are selling you know? a few yeah. donuts. So. Okay, nice. Yeah, because I noticed you guys kept those, so you were able to kind of keep the legacy of Maybell's under your, your roof and do what you love, your donuts, right? Yeah. Um, so the big lessons to me, that it sounds like when you're thinking of a location, does the, the food... The habits of eating the food match the people that are going to be at this place. So donuts, you mentioned, usually on the way to the office or like a, like a drive through situation to grab and go. And when you go into a food hall, it's more of a, an experiential, like let's go to the food hall and hang out. Um, you're not going to stop at the food hall to pick up donuts. You've yeah. got to find parking. You've got to walk so far. Um, so just keeping like are the, do the habits that are associated with this meal – are they conducive with what we're offering as far as accessibility? Right. There's a question you have to ask yourself. Um, yeah. I, I agree with that. hundred percent. Yeah. So what yeah. else is the lesson? Um, are you going to be able to spread yourself and are you spreading yourself too thin by, I mean, we, we hear all this on the show a lot, do one thing really well. So when you started doing this other thing, it, it pulled yeah. from your ability to, to do one thing really well. Is that what I'm hearing or is it, I, I think so. Um, being being spread between five stores and a donut concept uh, and a commissary kitchen and a commissary kitchen um, definitely. I think we both Anna and I and Charlie were f- feeling very spread very thin. So how do you feel now, five months later after closing down? It must have been a tough pill to swallow, but it is. I, I read comments, you know, like oh, we brought donuts back. Um, 
Uh, we stopped them uh, during the start of the COVID outbreak. And we brought them back when we sold out like really quick. And uh, we got a lot of comments on social media about how much they miss these donuts. And you're like, oh. <laughs> like, Who knows? Maybe the future has another donut <laughs> shop. In the Perhaps. Next, but, uh, is there anything we have not discussed up to this point? This is my time to let you guys kind of whatever's near and dear to your heart. If there's a, a lesson you want to pay forward to the next generation of operators that hasn't been communicated, now's the time to get it out. Um, you know, the restaurant industry has changed a lot tremendously since we first started. We started in old school kitchens, you know, where, um, yeah, you were expected to clock out um, and keep doing your work and not get paid for it. You're expected to um, not say anything if you're um, experiencing any sort of, you know, conflict at work, you know. Pain, discomfort, or anything like that, right? exactly, exactly. Um, And being a woman, it was even more so. You were just expected to swallow everything that was thrown your way. Sexist comments. A lot of sexist comments, yeah, and... You just, you just had to live with it. Yeah. You know that was that was the world that I found when I first walked into restaurants. I'm curious. Maybe this is going a little too far, but what's the worst thing you've ever heard? I don't want to like rub sand in a wound or anything like that. But what's the worst thing? Just to give perspective of what things are actually said. Oh, I mean, a lot of old school chefs objectify women. Mm. Um. Yeah, there's a lot of language out there that I I don't even want to say. I understand. Yeah. Yeah. But you're expected to just not react, take it, and go on with your job. Like nothing happened, Mm. you know? Yeah. But things have changed a lot since then for the better. Um, And it continues to change. Mm -hmm. I'll let future restaurateurs know that you have to stay flexible and stay fluid and, and change and uh, know your audience and and uh, and I don't know, change with the times. Yeah, for sure. Do that. For sure. So I am in Casey actually corrected me the last interview I had. I didn't even talk about COVID and I almost did it again. I'm, I think I'm just trying to get away from it already. <laughs> but uh, what I mean, I don't think it's really worth talking about how you've adapted because I, I hope you would have adapted by now. Right? right. I think that ship has kind of sailed like. And I think you should be going to your state like like whatever your government's telling you to do locally is what you should be doing because it's different across different states. So I don't really want to get right. into that. But what I do want to get into is what do you think the future looks like? Uh, not necessarily what, how you want to re, how you're reacting to the current situation, but how can yeah. we be proactive proactive to come out? How can we choose right. to come back a certain way? What does that look like for you? Well, you know, I think. Online ordering is going to be a much, much stronger outlet than before. Yeah. Um, when, we, when we started offering that platform at the beginning of the quarantine, I really wasn't convinced that it would stick around. Yeah. But now I think it's a comfortable way for people to, to order and get their food. Yeah. And I, I, we're keeping that platform. So were you offering online ordering and pickup or delivery before this? 
We were order, uh, we were offering um, yes, we were offering the, the both delivery but services, but deliveries especially yeah, but it just wasn't as strong as during so during you, you the were virus. prepared for the the virus because you had these systems in, in place already. Somewhat, okay. Uh, we signed up with a lot more delivery apps when this happened. Okay. Um, we changed our online ordering platform because the one that we had previously was not as user-friendly. We're not to say what the other one was, but what, which one did you end up going with? So uh, right now we're going with Square Online Store. Okay. Right. Um, it's a lot more user-friendly and we can integrate it with our internal POS and inventory systems. So were you using Square before? We were. So they already, and you were using some other third party. Yes. And then at this point, I think Square probably, they launched Square for restaurants. So was that an element of the new platform that you were able just to pivot to? I am actually in in the process of transitioning to that. And how's that going for you guys? Really good, actually, really good. Um, So, you know, it's one of those things too. Things change over time. New technology comes out, new systems, and it never stops. You just have to keep moving with it. Yeah. And are you going to be changing anything about your business permanently to be ready for the future? I think, I mean, if we open any other locations or if we remodel certain locations, definitely the design layout and how, how things are set up. To be more maybe suitable for pickup? Yeah, okay. suitable, suitable for pickup, suitable um, to come in and maybe come in and exit immediately. Um, gotcha. less, less dine-in, I think. Yeah. Interesting. Does that concern so. you that we are evolving to not do dine-in, that we're trying to get away from the social aspect? I think restaurants just play such a crucial role. Like, we don't go to church as much as we used to. Like, we, right. When we go to socialize, when we go to be with each other, it's usually at a restaurant or a bar. Right, um, exactly. I'm worried that we're not really paying attention to the consequences of everybody all at once adapting to be non-social, you know? Right. Um, is there a threat that we're not really considering by reacting the way we are? Uh, mean, I'm sure we'll find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we don't know, you know, but we're all... Humans are social beings we innately. Need we yeah. need each other. Yeah. And I think that's definitely one aspect of the restaurant um, that was taken from us during this time. But I think it's going to come back. It's just a you bunch know, of little in the things future. that like, we don't even consider. Like, even like wearing these masks right now, I right. realize that we're trying to be safe. We're tr- all trying to do our part. But even just for me trying to interview you, like I'm, I'm listening to your words, but I also want to be able to see what your face is telling yeah. me. And there's these little things that we take for granted when we start doing all this stuff that compounds. And I wonder if we're aware of it. Is, my, like, is, the, rea- is the reaction to the virus worse than the virus itself? Nice. You know? Like social and emotional, like well-being is a thing. You right, know, we gotta be mindful of this. Right, absolutely. Know. I'm not saying you guys are doing anything yeah. wrong by having. Like, I'm <laughs> yeah. saying like we, as a collective, need to be mindful of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know, you know. Yeah. And there have been pandemics in the past. There will be more in the future. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What's happened before has changed. Yeah, how we do things now. Yeah. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So the last question before we go to the speed round, the mission statement is to inspire, empower, and transform the industry. How have you guys transformed? Who are you today versus the folks you guys were getting started in this industry? Gosh. Um, I think, um, I think we're definitely more, um, 
I think we're definitely stronger business owners. You know, when we started this thing, we were pastry chefs. Yeah. We had never, well, I had never done management at that point. Um, both of us, and for both of us, I can say nothing to this extent. Yeah. So how, you know? how are you a better manager? Give me something specific that you do now that you, you didn't do before. I used to yell a lot. I don't do as much I as can't that picture anymore. you being a yell. <laughs> like a very soft-spoken dude, but I'll take your word for it. Yeah. Uh, Why doesn't that work? I used to be work? very intense. Uh, uh, it doesn't work. I mean, you can see people check out once you start. I was very emotional and very passionate about what I did. And, you can, and we also kind of came up in that world, too, with pan-throwing chefs and screaming and getting yeah. yelled at. You can yell as loud as you want. The only thing that they're hearing is the inner dialogue of how badly they want to hit you in the face. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and it took me years to learn that. And I, I'm, I'm not perfect. Um, but I, I, I prefer to teach and inspire as much as possible. Um, Rather than yawn. I love it. Awesome yeah. stuff. Also, um, developing processes for everything, no matter how small the task may seem. Um, I think we've gotten a lot better about that. You know, if you have clear direction and a clear process, that helps everyone do a good job because everyone wants to do a good job. Yes, I love it. Great stuff. Did you um, want to add one more? I was just going to say there, there's often, I think, more freedom when you have constraints than, you know, when you have these, these walls put up. There's more, there's more freedom than... Uh, than a free-for-all. Yeah. Well, you know, well people want to know that they're doing... That we need to know that we're satisfying you. We need to know that we're doing a good job. And when we have aiming points, when we can hit our mark and know that we did it right, then exactly. we get a little... Uh, release of I forget the name. It's a chemical. It, there's but we get that chemical release. Oh, endorphin. Re- endorphin. Yeah, we get rewarded, and we need these little rewards. We need to know we're doing good. We need that security of knowing we're doing our job right. Right, right? and that's what systems, processes, and standards provide. Yes, right. exactly, exactly. And being on the other end of the table now as a manager, you forget that. You yes. know. Yeah, yeah, like when you were starting out as a pastry cook, you needed that acknowledgement. Absolutely. You know? Yes. Yeah. So I've loved this conversation. Thank you so much. One more quick break to thank our sponsors, and we're going to bust out a true speed round where after you said you cleared your morning for us, it's now afternoon, so we'll try to wrap it up as quickly <laughs> as possible. Did you know Toast is the number one most recommended POS on Restaurant Unstoppable? I'm sure it has something to do with the fact that more than two-thirds of their employees have worked in the restaurant industry. And I'm feeling pretty confident that has something to do with their commission-free online ordering, which is a hot ticket right now, which lets guests easily order directly from restaurants for pickup or contactless delivery to keep revenue flowing during these uncertain times. They even have delivery services, which dispatches local drivers through an on-demand network to keep your community fed and revenue coming. Regardless of the reason why people are recommending Toast, I highly recommend you go check them out during this industry-wide pause. To learn more head to toasttab.com slash unstoppable and because you are restaurant unstoppable listeners for a limited time get one month of free pos software three months of free digital ordering tools and 50 percent off implementation to ease the impact of covid19 this is a value of one thousand dollars one more time that's toast tab 
com slash unstoppable. You have to use that link to save $1,000. If you're sick of paying multiple vendors and services to outfit your restaurant needs only to deal with the frustrations of technology that's clunky and void of that seamless experience that you so need, then you've got to check out Restaurant 365, a cloud-based restaurant-specific accounting and back office platform that seamlessly integrates with your POS system, payroll provider, food and beverage vendors, and banks. With Restaurant 365, you'll have real-time reporting and analysis to make the best and most data-driven decisions. No more guessing. Other features include detailed daily and labor data from your POS system, accounts payable automation, automated bank reconciliation, incorporated inventory management with guidance on reducing your food costs, and scheduling features to reduce labor costs and engage your employees, all saving you time, money, and headaches. Take action today and find out how Restaurant 365 is saving restaurant owners up to 5% on prime costs. That's awesome. Head over to restaurant365.com slash unstoppable and qualify for 30% off implementation and get a free inventory build within the system, a value of 5K. We're back, and the first question I have for you is what is your it factor, a habit, a trait, a characteristic you believe most contributes to your success? Ladies first. Take it away, Anne. Um, oh, gosh. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm horrible at this. Jeremy, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hard work. Hard work. And Anne, back at you. Um, approachability. Okay. What's your biggest weakness? I'm stubborn. Jeremy. Cookies. <laughs> <laughs> what is one question you ask or thing you look for when you're building your team, when you're interviewing people? Like, what are you looking for? Someone who's a team player. How do you know? Uh, well, they spend a few hours with us in the kitchen. If they're willing to listen to instruction and, you know, uh, shadow and, and work with other people, you can, you can see. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, Jeremy, are you cool with that answer or do you want to give your own? Yeah. Uh, I was going to say driven, but I'm in kind of the same. Yeah, I feel you. Uh, what is your biggest challenge today that's not COVID? Okay, it's, you can talk about COVID if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> Anything coming to mind? I, I think our challenges are always standards and, and keeping up those standards uh, professionally, be it from our staff or our management or our food. How are you dealing with that challenge? How are you overcoming it? Um, just constant monitoring. Right. A day constant, at a time. Yes. A day at a time. Share one code of conduct or behavior. I'm talking core values, a way to be, a way to act that you teach your team. Um, integrity. Mm, what is integrity to you? Um, I'm putting pressure on you. Anne. I know you are. You are <laughs> standing up, standing up for what you believe in. Yes. Um, acting and um, acting what you say. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to compound on that, Jeremy? Um, on integrity? Yes. Um, no, I, I think you covered it. Doing. Doing the right thing even when nobody's watching. Yes, I love that. Um, what is one uncommon standard of service you teach your team? So this is something that's common within the four walls of your business to go above and beyond to serve, but not common throughout the industry. Discipline. Having the discipline 
to not put out product that is not good enough. Yes, I love it. Uh, what is one book that's a must-read to make us a better person or restaurant operator? <laughs> uh, um, you can I, mention it's it's it's. I love the goal. The goal? Yeah, I mean, it's just a good business book, and uh, it's helped me in my personal life. Beautiful. I, I like that book a lot. In what way did it help you in your personal life? Uh, <laughs> wow. Um, I'd have to think I don't ask the easy questions. Yeah, I man. know. Uh, how... It just kind of it helps, it helps you to... Uh, um, Live intentionally? I mean, I think of the word goal. Or, right? Yeah, problem solve in a way that directs you... In an efficient way. Yeah. To, Do you know the you, author by any chance? Uh, I could look it up for you. All right. We'll you make sure. And the next tough <laughs> question. <laughs> awesome. The next question I have for you guys is what is one thing you feel restaurant tours don't do well enough or often enough? Um, I know we as restaurant owners and operators, I can't speak for anybody else that um, we don't give positive feedback enough. Yes. Um, it's very easy for us to get on somebody when they make a mistake. Um, when something's not done up to our standard, but we, we often forget to give grace. Yeah, and I'm guilty of that myself, I'll be honest. Uh, name one service you've hired or outsourced. So this is something, not necessarily a technology, but if you're maybe like a designer would be an example, an architect would be an example, uh, a brand expert would be an example. Right. Um, graphic design. Who do you use? We use Jamie Stolarski. All right, Jamie, there you go. You got a little bit of a shout out. Look out for the business. And He's so good. Is he? Nice. He's really good. Uh, what is one piece of technology you've adopted within the four walls of your business that's had a huge impact on communications, operations, bottom line, anything along those lines? Um, communications apps, I think, like Slack. Okay. Is um, that what you guys are using? Yes. And yeah. how, how has that impacted your business? Oh, you know, communication. Yeah. <laughs> communication is a big part of our day-to-day operations. Mm-hmm. A lot of times when things go south, it's because there was a breakdown in communication. Absolutely. So tools that help us communicate easily uh, with each other, I'm all for that. Beautiful. Do you want to add something to that? No, I agree completely. Were you able to find your book? I, I did. Nice. <laughs> Eliu M. Goldrate, Rat. All right, I see it. We'll uh, we'll make sure that we link to that one. Thank you very much. And this is the last question. It's a doozy. Are you ready for it? Are my what? It's a doozy. The question meaning it's okay. a, it's a tough one. Oh, okay. Uh, if you got the news, you'd be leaving this world tomorrow. All the memories of you, your work, and your restaurants would be lost with your departure, with the exception of three pieces of wisdom you could leave behind for the good of humanity and for your legacy. I should say the good of the industry. What would those three pieces of wisdom be? Oh, this is a deep peer into each other's eyes. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's the first one? Always strive to be better. That's one. You got a second one, Jeremy? No. (laughs) (laughs) Passing the baton back to Anne. You get I'm just going to make one up just from the story, listening to you guys. Never settle for anything less Absolutely. than what the expectation is. Absolutely. And that's yeah, come up a um, bunch of times. Yeah. yeah. And Number three. You can't pull the audience don't, from this one. 
Don't lose yourself in your work. Beautiful. I've loved this conversation, guys. Thank you so much uh, for taking the time to come on the show, to share your story, to share your knowledge, to share your mentorship, and to do it during a time where we're, we're kind of pushing the envelope right now. And I realize it's a little awkward to be doing things in person, but I feel like if we're ever going to get back to that, you know, we got to, some people have to take a chance, right? We got to absolutely push the envelope and yeah. you guys did that for us today. Thank you. It's always better to be in person. In my opinion, uh, we wrap up every chat by calling somebody out. So that's how I found you. Christina Zhao called you out. We love Christina here at restaurant. Unstoppable. She was a great guest. Who do you guys respect and admire? You know, think would make a great guest mentor like you made for us today. Peter Sipstein. Peter, is yeah. that? Did you have more? Do you want? I don't want to cut you short. I'll settle with one of them. I don't want you to. Peter, <laughs> Peter, look out! I'm coming after you. <laughs> I'd love to get you on the show. He's a great person. Yes. Yeah. And uh, how can we connect with you guys? Maybe we want to order your pastries uh, or get some of those donuts. Sure. Yeah. You can visit our website bakerylorraine.com there will be a link there to order for curbside okay and maybe want to come join your team what's the best way to connect again check our website we have employment applications on there beautiful you guys have been great did you want to add something it looks like you have a oh no no okay uh you've been great uh again just thank you so much for taking the time to share your story your knowledge your mentorship there is no questioning you are unstoppable cheers Yes, there's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Jeremy Mandrell and Ann Ning, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story, your mentorship. We would not be able to do it without you folks. Uh, some great takeaways in today's chat. Just again, that, you know, overcoming your fears and uh, you're going to have to take some big leaps in your career to get around the right people, to learn the right lessons, to, to you know, to take these steps. You need courage. And you need to overcome your fears. And I think both Jeremy and Anna are a great example of that. And I also love this mentality of hustling and working hard and swinging into your your ultimate vision and and knowing that it's not going to happen overnight, but starting where you can. And for Anne and Jeremy, that was with farmer's markets and pop-ups and slowly developing a wholesale situation and finding the right people in their community to partner with, to make them stronger and to collaborate and to recognize that we can go much further together. And that's one of the biggest lessons that I hope to communicate here at Restaurant Unstoppable is this idea of togetherness, of, of understanding that you're stronger together. You might go faster alone, but you'll go further together in the long game might be the harder road, but it's the road that will bring you so much more happiness and gratitude. So great stuff today, guys. And I got to remind you that uh, we are in the process of changing how we do things here at Restaurant Unstoppable. Starting in August, we're going to go, oh, man, it's weird saying this out loud because then I have to do it. That's what integrity is all about is, is doing what you say. And when you say it out loud, man, it gets kind of scary. But uh, here's what we're going to three episodes a week, starting in August. We're going to be overlapping, um, restaurant unstoppable podcast with restaurant unstoppable network and restaurant unstoppable network is going to be a community of restaurant unstoppables, you know, uh, most loyal and passionate listeners. We're going to be trying to connect those folks with our with our past mentors and our future mentors, the guests we come on the show, and we're going to be like reflecting back at the people who made the biggest impact on me on the seven year journey of finding out the the most uh, 
impactful way of trying to open a restaurant. We're going to be going to these people who have given us the biggest lessons and asking them to lecture. And, and we're going to create workshops. And there's going to be live workshops. And if you're part of this community, part of this network, you're going to be able to join these live networks. And it's all about, again, coming together, making it about us, the industry. And if we're going to change this industry, we have to do it together. And a Restaurant Unstoppable Network is going to be our way of standing on the shoulders of giants to make the next generation of leaders that much stronger. If you want to be a part of this network, if you want to join the conversation, head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash network. Get on our mailing list and we'll keep you up to date we'll keep you abreast with what's going on and uh the the big starting month is going to be august Uh, our first theme is going to be uh culture we're super excited about it we can't wait and i hope you guys are excited too again that's restaurantunstoppable.com slash network come join us it's going to be amazing all right that's it for today guys until next time peace out